this morning we're honored to have my nephew, Jordan Weaver, and uh, he's going to speak for us this morning, and I know y'all love the dog out of him, and uh, just honored to have you, Jordan, and he always has a message that, that gets down in our hearts, right? And uh, there's an anointing on Jordan to preach the Word of God, and uh, we recognize that, and because of that, uh, we've invited him to come and speak this morning. He uh, has uh, two campuses that he pastors, one in in uh, Oregon, one in Arizona, and uh, he, him and Lacey, his wife, and they've got two children, lovely, lovely family, and we're just honored to have you this morning, Jordan. We love you. We got you right here. Give him a hand, please. So uh, amongst the staff, there's some chatter about the red shoes. Let me just rip the Band-Aid off here. Uh, I'll be 40 this year. And if anybody's ever turned 40 and I look out here and I see that maybe a few of you have, maybe some of you not as recently as others, uh, I'm not flying in boots. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to travel. I'm not going to walk through terminals in boots. I'm going to wear what's comfortable. And so this sermon's brought to you by Ronald McDonald. Amber tells me, she goes, don't worry about it. I preached in bright yellow shoes not too long ago. Did anybody see what shoes she was wearing? Leopard print. I'm like, okay, you win. You're way more daring than I'm just a regular old red. Hey, uh, before we start, I'll tell you this. Uncle Randy said something that stood out to me. He said that when I preach, it gets into your hearts, but this is going to be a little different. Uh, I, I hope if we get where I hope we're able to go this morning, I get into your head. I don't, want to, I don't want to get in your heart, but here's the difference. The heart, when somebody says something that hits you in the heart, you're like, hey, man, you'll say something. Hey, that's right. Oh, yeah, you know, elbow each other. Here's the hard part about a thinking sermon. People get real quiet because you're like, okay, all right, does that make sense? Does that, does that land? See? See what's happening? Everybody's like. <laughs> here's the difficulty. They say when you preach to a big room that you got to be big and tall. You go, oh. Is that, is that the rabbit? Am I doing it? He's saying no. I'll work on it. I was practicing. I had the right shoes. If you guys would do me a favor, if I do this right here, what that means is, is it making it all the way to the back row? And just, if you're sitting in the front half, don't worry about it. I can see your faces. But from the back row, if I do just like that, just like, a, like an amen, just something that tells me I'm not completely out in the weeds because I can go there. And if we get there, I'll preach for an hour before we get back. So for the sake of everyone's time, let's practice. Ready? I flew in uh, here, I fly out of Sky Harbor in Phoenix all the time. I know my parking spot, I know where to go, oversized parking, I know, where, I mean, it's, it's, I can fly out of there with my brain turned off when I fly to Oregon. I'm back and forth from Oregon to Arizona all the time. And I flew out of the same airport, but I flew out of a different terminal. And I'm gonna tell you this, when, I, when something changes out of my routine, I'll be 40 this year, I don't like it. I like comfort, I like knowing where I'm going, I like having my parking spot, I like routine. I don't like to have to think, because I'm always i afraid I'm gonna leave something, I'm afraid I'm gonna lose something, it's out, I, and this is new, this has not always been the case, but I've gotten where I really enjoy a routine. Problem with, with familiar or routine is this, you can get into a rut, and when you get into a rut, you stop thinking. It's the joy of a rut, you don't have to think, you just do the same thing you've always done. And I wonder sometimes, if we hear something in the word and it challenges us to step outside of the familiar, and I think as people, we, especially in church, especially in church and especially in the South, we like 
familiar Jesus. We like sermons that are like, you do this, God does this. Amen, that's why we're here. More money, give more. More blessings, more obedience. And I think sometimes if you ever hear something about a Jesus that doesn't reward you in the way that you want to be rewarded, you're like, no, hang on just a minute. I like a familiar terminal. I like my parking space. I like three songs in a sermon. I like to get my 10% so I know my money's always taken care of. I like to obey. I like to be here in church so I can feel better than the people who don't go to church. Almost, almost as if we use what we know to resist what we could learn. Does that make sense? I know why you guys sit in the back. I think that was the Pharisees. I think that was the Pharisees issue is that Jesus showed up. And when Jesus showed up, he would teach things that were controversial. And the reason it was controversial is he said, I, I get that you've got a cookie cutter, but I don't fit in it. And they went, eh, we don't know if you're the one. It's been happening for a long time. I like higher energy sermons, but this one's a thinker. For, for me, it's a thinker. I have to think to get through it. And so uh, if, you guys, if you guys will just stick with me, let's try to get through it. If it starts to happen today that I say something or that we look at something that causes you to feel resistance, all I'm going to ask is this. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to go along with it, but just do this. Chew on it. Is that fair? Make a note. Write yourself a note. Put your, like, send yourself a text, something that says, I want to go back and I want to chew on this later to see if there's something there. Matthew chapter 17, uh, verse 24, it says, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. I wonder if the disciples ever got tired of this. They'd walk in with something to say to Jesus, and he would start in the answer, and they're like, I didn't even ask the question yet. <laughs> Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes, from their own children or from others? When kings collect taxes, do they take it out of their family or out of the other people? They said, from others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open his mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. What this story is, I've heard this story my whole life. I remember like as a little kid going to like my little kid Bible that was just pictures and there's like Peter holding a fishing pole with a coin. You know, I mean, it's, it's a familiar story. It's a weird story though. There's a lot going on in this story. And I think if we've heard it enough, we just kind of do that glaze over familiar thing that we do of like, yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, the coin. Yeah. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about everything that's going on there? That story is like a sifting filter and it's sifting between two very different God concepts. Now you can say, I believe in God and that's great. The problem is it's incomplete because I believe in God is not enough. It is vital that you know who God is because people throughout history have used the word God to do some very terrible things. And they say Jesus or they say the Bible or they say God or they say, you know, whatever the case may be. So I believe in God is as good of a first step as that is, it's not enough. You gotta know who God is. This story is, is a filter between the God of never enough versus what the Old Testament has said was El Shaddai, which is the God of more than enough. Um, I, I don't, don't lose me here. I'm not going too far out into the weird, but the Buddhist teachings, every now and then, you hear something and you go, wait, that seems true. And I'm not a Buddhist, <laughs> in case you're wondering. I mean, I feel like that's self-evident, but just in case. But they teach that 
desire is suffering. That part of the suffering of man is that we don't know how to ration our desire. We never put a cap on our desire. And if we never put a cap on our desire, then we never put a cap on our suffering. Desire, suffering. In theory, the fastest way, stick with me here. I know this seems very simple for a second. But in theory, the fastest way to have everything that you want is to only want everything that you already have. Yo, that seems like a bar trick. I see what you did there. It was a, but, but hang on a second. Here's what, here's what I'm saying, is that we struggle as people, as people, we struggle to know when to say uh, uh, enough. That's enough. If we get everything that we wanted, we have this fun trick. We get everything that we wanted and we go, cool, I'll just want more. I'm a good capitalist. I know pastors, and this is just what I know. I'm not picking on pastors. I'm certainly not picking on Uncle Randy or Aunt Darla. I'm just saying that as people, as an example, pastors aren't even exempt. As people, we can go, God, oh man, I'm gonna start a church. And what I'd, re oh man, what would be so cool is if you could just bring a hundred people. You look up one Sunday and there's a hundred people and you're like, God, if I could just have 200 people. We don't ever stop and just appreciate that we've reached a point of enough. More money, more power, more security. Oh my gosh, we love this one. More We wanna know that everything is safe. More validity from others. Don't get me started. More freedom, guaranteeing what? If we never put a cap on our desire, then we are also never putting a cap on our suffering. We are, by, by theory, in theory, we are engineering our own misery. Okay, you guys ought to sit in the front next week. This is, listen to this, listen to this. The collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does. Now, here's the thing about this tax. This was not from the Romans. See, we talk about tax collectors in the Bible and it's like boo, hiss, and they're the bad guys and how dare you tax us to give it to them, that sort of thing. This was not that. This was a temple tax. It was based in Exodus 30, 11 through 16, if you wanna go look it up. But originally, it was a rare thing. We take up a temple tax just to kind of keep things up, you know, and it's only during the census, it'll hardly ever happen. And, you know, that's just every now and then the church, you know, the temple starts to fall apart. And so we're going to have a special fundraiser, but it won't happen all the time. This is back in Exodus. Fast forward. Let me tell you something fun about taxes. The government never comes to the people and goes, I think we're spending too much. <laughs> I feel like all these people that are on the till every week aren't maybe producing what they said they were going to produce. And I think we're spending too much. I think we're, we're asking for too much. We're going to take the taxes and we're going to just not do that anymore. No, no. They go, well, you know, that tax didn't do what we thought it would do. We need more. Because I, I got a secret for you. The government <laughs> is ran by people. And people struggle to know when to say enough is enough. Even back to the temple tax, now it still wasn't, it was still not coercive, this tax that they're asking, but it's sort of socially coercive. Do you ever feel like that, you know, it's not like demanded, but it's sort of socially expected? <clears throat> you know? It's like when you take your kids to dinner, you're just, <clears throat> your kids get alligator arms, oh, we don't have any money. Socially coercive. It had changed, and now this was an annual tax. 
This is now every single year. Now they were taking the two drachma temple tax every single year. Why? Because once you start a tax, it just never stops, does it? Amen. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> See, tax people, I'm telling you. More, more, more. Always more, always more, always more. In the English language, we use the word chronology to describe things happening in order according to time. And if you track that word chronology back, it goes back to a word chronos. It's a, it's a Greek word, an ancient Greek word, chronos. Chronos was in the time the thought of as a god. Kronos was this mythical God. And here's the thing, here's the nature, here's the personality of the nature, I believe in God. This is why I believe in God is such a dangerous term. I believe in God can mean a, wall, a whole wide range of things. At one point in our history of humanity, people go, I believe in God. And let me describe the God they were talking about. Kronos was thought of as all destructive and all devouring. It was like a black hole that would take and take and take and never give back and was never satisfied. The legend of Kronos was that he had castrated and disposed of his own father. There's a biblical reference there. We're not going to get into it. But he had, he had castrated his own father and disposed of him. He was so afraid of losing his power that he had consumed his own offspring. A father who was eating his offspring to preserve and protect his power and never said enough, all devouring, insatiable. People who followed Kronos would sacrifice everything, including, ready for this, their own children. In our history, we like to say, oh, that's back. They were people. There were people that were taking their children and sacrificing their children to the God that never was satisfied, that was never enough. And they would say what? I believe in God. The God of never enough. How much time does the God of never enough require? All of it. Every waking moment, no matter how much you give him, it's never enough. How much money? All of it. It's never enough. How many relationships can die on the altar to a God of never enough? By, by definition, Kronos, the God of never enough, doesn't matter how much you do, it's never enough. Philosophy would teach that we're slaves to anything that never says enough. What do you call someone who starts with an occasional drink but doesn't know when to say enough? You would say that that person is a alcoholic. We have a term for it. Someone who drinks but doesn't know how to say enough. And an alcoholic is someone whose life is being controlled by the inability to say. What do you call somebody who works and they work and they work and they work and this is how they get what they want and they never know when to say enough and they work too many hours and they go and they go and they go and they don't know when to say enough. You would call that person who works too much a do you understand the point what I'm saying? Like we are a slave of anything that we don't know how to say enough to. And it doesn't matter what it is, anything in your life can rule you if there's never a point where you say enough. See, I can say that I believe in God and that can leave you thinking that it's all up to you. See, what a workaholic says is, I believe in God, but I believe it's up to me. An alcoholic says, I'm dealing with pain that I don't know how to deal with, but this connection to this makes me feel better. See, it's, it's up to me. I have a system by which I manage my own life. I can't ever say enough. It's like today, as crazy as it sounds, we hear about the, the, the habits and the patterns of people who served a God of never enough. We go, that's crazy. Here's my question. When did we stop? We will still sacrifice our health, our bodies, our children, our what? The, mm, listen, 
The abortion issue, here's why I think it's a problem. That we put a lot of emphasis in the church on the babies and we put less emphasis on the moms. This church, definite the exception. The reason that abortion is such a hurtful thing is that it wounds both directions, doesn't it? But the reason that abortion has taken such a foothold is there's a God of never enough. My time, my this, my that. And it's like abortion has become this huge issue in our country because we don't know when to say enough is enough. We still have people who sacrifice their marriages. We have parents who sacrifice the relationship with their parents and with their kids because they can't pull away from the things that they won't say enough to. We are still doing it. We are still operating as, oh, I believe in God. Oh, I go to church. Yeah, three songs of sermon. Got it. But then during the week, we still serve the God of Kronos. The God of never enough. Have you ever wondered, this has bugged me. How much time do I have? All of it. <laughs> yeah, that's a trick. Has it ever bugged anybody else that God put the fruit in the garden and said, okay, you can have everything you want, but don't touch that. That seems like, that seems like unfair a little bit because you have to ask yourself, like, why don't, why, why don't I just not put it in there? Wouldn't it just be easier? Like, if we're being honest, like I said, I think sometimes we're like familiar, comfortable God. But I mean, if you ask the question, like, God's like, I'm a God of love and I'm a God of more than enough and I want to put you in a perfect garden, but don't touch this one thing. What are you going to do? <laughs> See, these red shoes work for an illustration. Don't touch that. It seems unfair. But here's the thing. When you teach, I've been listening to the Bama podcast, B-E-M-A, I recommend it. Please go listen to it. But one of the things they discuss is the difference between a beast and a human is the ability to say enough. It says that in creation, in the, in the, the poem that is the creation story in Genesis, it says that for six days, God builds. And on the seventh day, God what? Did he need it? He did it to demonstrate his ability to say enough. He's an artist who knows when to quit painting. And so he says, I'm gonna put man in my own image. I'm gonna build man, you, in my own image. That means that with God's image, if he has the ability to say enough and know when to stop, that he expects that as people, we are our most human when we demonstrate the ability to say enough. If we don't have the ability to say enough, we become animals, driven by desires, driven by the things that we want. The only justification we need is, do I want it bad enough? Because if I want it bad enough, it's justification for it. Verse 25, it says, then Peter came into the house and Jesus was the first to speak. I love that little detail. Jesus already knows what's going on. Keep in mind, it was a tax that was a demonstration of man's inability to say enough. It was a tax in the temple by the people who had eventually put Jesus to death. Those people were out of control. They just more, 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 more. They're, 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 they're operating in the more, more, more. And Jesus could have said, listen, I'm going to teach those guys a lesson. Listen to what he said. He says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes from their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt. Anytime you hear somebody go, Jesus never claimed to be the son of God. These are the statements. This is what's called a Christological statement. Jesus is saying the tax is for who? God. I'm out. I'm exempt. That's a claim to be the son of God. That's what that is. It's, I, love, I love the nuance of the Bible. Sometimes you look at it and you're like, oh, wait, I get it, but you have to look a little closer. I'm the son of God, but it doesn't stop there. Verse 27, but so that we may not cause offense to the people who will eventually hang me on a cross. Who do you, who do you feel justified in offending? 
Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's just a political statement I'm going to make. I'm sorry. If you don't like it. The church has gotten kind of a bad habit. A little bit of like, well, I know I'm right. Three songs in a sermon. <laughs> don't. I'm not trying to cause offense, but if we're not careful, we can think that we're so right that if someone gets offended, right, sorry, the truth bugs you. Jesus says this, he says, but so that we may not cause offense to the people who will eventually hang me on a cross and that are wrong, but even though I'm right, go to the lake, throw out your line and take the fish, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth and you'll find a four drop of coin, take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. This is what I mean when I say a God of never enough versus a God of more than enough. Jesus is establishing his name, El Shaddai. He is establishing it in this story right here. He goes, eh, we're not really supposed to pay it, but I'll do it anyway. What is that? That's excess. That's extra. That's leftovers. That's when he like feeds the 5,000 and there's leftovers. He feeds the 4,000. There's leftovers. There's always more. He goes, well, I shouldn't have to pay it, but I will anyway. I love that about Jesus. I think sometimes we are letter of the law. And Jesus, we go the letter of the law. And Jesus is it. The son of God's answer is, meh. That is a very lovable thing about his personality that I find in the word is there's so many times where it's like, eh, it's not a big deal. Nothing's more embarrassing than coming in like really intense about something and having somebody go, eh. Oh, right, yeah, no, whatever, it's stupid. <laughs> but if Jesus wanted to paint the picture of more than enough, feeds the 5,000 leftovers, feeds the 4,000 leftovers. He's always getting, but the thing about Jesus is it's not material wealth. It's a, it's a source. He's talking more about the source than the result. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, we pursue the results of Jesus without understanding the heart of Jesus. Are you with me? So here's what I, here's what I love about this story. He sends Peter back to go do what? Fish. Before Jesus found Peter, Peter was a so he sends Peter back to a familiar occupation. He doesn't say, go outside and look up and a coin's gonna fall on your head. He could have said anything. He could have gone to shake a tree and a money will fall. He could have said anything, but he doesn't. He sends Peter back to something very familiar. He goes, go back to your old life, but I'm gonna bless you in a way that I never blessed you while you're fishing. I'm gonna send you back to something so that when something miraculous happens, you know it. How many times, I'm like, I would call myself a very casual fisherman. At best, at best. But let me tell you something I do that is completely irrational when I fish. I get very angry <laughs> if they don't bite. <laughs> and I remember as a small child fishing with my grandpa, and I, I, I mean, I was like trying to operate in faith, right? I'm like, God, I know you can make them do it. <laughs> so somewhere we got a problem because... I like catching, I don't like fishing. <laughs> like if I had dynamite, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but he sends Peter back. Peter has fished occupationally. I will guarantee you there were times where Peter was just like, get in the net. Peter, we know, was not a patient person. So you know there were times when this was his occupation, this was his income, this is how he paid his bills, where he's like, what is wrong with these stupid fish? Why won't they just give themselves up for me? It would be, it would be similar to this. It would be similar if God were to go, okay, here's what I need you to do, Jordan. Are you ready? I need you to go rope a steer. I'm like, okay, I feel like you're patronizing me. You would feel a little patronized if you felt like Jesus is like, all right, listen, little buddy. Okay, I'll go rope a steer. And when you rope the steer, there's going to be money in the horn wrap. 
if we're being honest, anybody who's ever roped, if Jesus sent you out to rope a little steer and catch a little steer and get a little money for a little fake tax, you'd be like, am I a joke to you? Am I a joke? Am I a punchline? Like, this is embarrassing. This is humiliating. You know that Peter had to pull the fish up, pull the coin out, and there was a little part of him that was like, ugh. I threw the fish back. Because what Jesus is doing, when Jesus, it's always been this easy. I could do this all the time. I could have done this anytime. At any point, I could have caused you to catch fish with money in its mouth. If it's this easy, it's like he's making, let's see if, I, see if this makes sense. Back row, you ready? It's like he's making a mockery of the sense of panic. Are you with me? There are times when we panic, but Jesus goes, that doesn't make any sense if I'm in control. Your panic doesn't make sense. If I can make you catch a fish with a coin in its mouth, kind of as a goof, just to show you. There's never a time where panic makes sense. There's never a time where being a workaholic is justified. There's never a time where being an alcoholic is justified because of the damage that it results in. There's never a time where being a, a drug addict, there's never a time where anything that never, you not being able to say enough doesn't make sense. We cannot rein in our wanting without trusting the heart of Jesus, that Jesus is more invested in your good than you are. I got to wrap this up. I got to wrap it up. If Jesus controls nature and fish and money and rope and steers, that means he, not his results, he is what? More than he Jesus is more than enough. When you go to Jesus, he's more than enough. That doesn't mean he's always going to give you what you want. You need to learn how to say enough. And sometimes Jesus is going, until you learn how to say enough, I can't give you more. Because then it doesn't matter how much I give you. It's always just more, 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 more. Some of the most blessed people are the ones that leave the church because it's not enough. Some of the people that go through the toughest times of all that say the tightest to Jesus because they realize they're not in control. Your excuse for whatever, and we all do it, but your excuse, it doesn't make sense in light of the fact that he controls it all. Now, I, got, I, I swear I'm hurrying. I know we're going to be a little long, but I'm almost done. I've only got seven more pages in notes. Um, <laughs> I was talking to Lacey, my wife. I was talking to my wife, and she said this. She goes, but Jordan, my deepest desire is for the safety of my children. See, that's different, isn't it? That one seems justified. Oh, I can want that. That's, I, can, I, I shouldn't have to put a cap on my desire for my children's safety. But the, her and I both said this. Here's one of the things that's crazy is that sometimes people get offended with God because we go to God and we go, I'm only asking for one thing. I'm not gonna bug you for all the things you want. Like we don't have to be best friends. You don't have to like me. I don't have to like you, but there's one thing. And it's like every one of us has something where we don't know how to say enough naturally. But the problem is, if we don't, as parents, if we are so driven by safety of our children, we never say enough, we're going to lock our kids up in a basement and we're going to harm them because we're so determined to try to protect them. Because no matter what your desire is, if you never learn to say enough, it controls you. But, but when I can take my deepest, most justified desire to the heart of the God of more than enough, when I know who he is, not I believe in God, I believe who God is. When I can go to Jesus and the heart of God is, is available to me, I can take my deepest, most valued treasure and I can set even that down and go, I can only take this so far. God, I want my kids to be okay, but I trust you with them more than I trust me with them. 
And the minute I set it down, I get freedom from it. The God of never enough said, give me everything. The God of more than enough says, reign in your desire for everything. I'm not taking it away from you, but your desire for it is causing you to be slaves to it. When I set down my unlimited desire, I'm also setting down my unlimited suffering. I trust that he's more than enough. When you pull the, the music, they're like, no, you really need to be done. Like, like, wrap it up. <laughs> That's what it means when he says, my burden is easy. When you trust that he's more than enough, there's nothing you can't set down. There's nothing you can't be free from. You go, I'm gonna work as hard as I can, but then one day a week, I'm gonna set it down internally, men. I know why you're bad at vacations, because you never turn it off. I'm on the beach and I'm still thinking about work. Your wife is like, why do you suck so much? Why can't you just be happy? Because we don't know how to say enough. How much money is enough? How much time is enough? We have got to become people who say that's enough so that I can be free from it. Let me pray. Lord, teach us how to say enough. Teach us how to know when we've gone far enough. Lord, I'm, I'm asking this, that you will bring into our minds areas that we are suffering, where we're slaves to the inability to say enough. How much power is enough? How much influence is enough? How much security, how much safety, how much control, all these things that we suffer, we become slaves to it. But God, when we know that you're God that controls everything, you become more than enough. Teach us how to live in that, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. One time I was praying and I was going hard, running hard. And I read that scripture. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I was praying and I said, God, my yoke isn't easy and my burden isn't light. And the Lord spoke to my heart. And he said, Randy, if your yoke isn't easy and your burden is light, isn't light, it must not be the yoke or the burden that I put on you. We need this this morning. How many need this this morning? We need this. Won't you bow your heads with me? This morning, if you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, I want you to know that this Jesus that we're talking about is a God that created you, and he can relate to you, and you can relate to him. The scripture also tells us that we, we have to say yes to him. We have to accept him as our savior because he's not going to make us do anything. So this morning, if you've never accepted him as your savior, maybe if you haven't, you just haven't been living for him, simply by raising your hand, say, preacher, I need Jesus in my heart. I need to make him the Lord of my life. I need to, I want to give my life to Jesus. Slip your hand up high. Preacher, that's me. I need Jesus. Slip your hand up high. I want to put a Bible in it. Anybody, preacher, that's me. 
Anybody else, don't let the moment pass. It's a, it's a cool day to make a commitment. Anybody else, preacher, that's me. Yeah, back in the back. Thank you so much. It's a great day, isn't it? Anybody else, raise your hand. Slip your hand up high. Preacher, that's me. Anybody else? If you raise your hand, would you look up at me? Would you mind looking? Would you mind coming up? Let me pray with you. Back in the back, would you mind coming up? Come on up here and let me pray for you. I'm telling you, it's a great day. It's a perfect day. Man, I'm so proud of you, buddy. Tell me your name. Hunter. Hunter? Yes, sir. Man, if I had hair, I'd do it just like yours. Proud of you, buddy. Anybody else? So what, and, and listen, if it, this morning, if you didn't raise your hand and you do want to accept Jesus, you can pray with us too. And I just invite everybody to pray with us. What I'm going to ask you to do, Hunter, is just, you have to say it. He said we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that Jesus is alive for you. He said that you'll be a part of my kingdom, part of my family. So let's pray. Y'all help us pray. Just repeat after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life. From this day forward, I give my life to you. Help me to read my Bible pray, show up for church, and get baptized. I love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, buddy, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Don't look back. It's like Jordan was saying, it's not that we're going to be perfect, but when now we, we run to God instead of running from Him. You with me? We don't run no more. When we mess up, we always have a choice. We either run to him or we run from him. Run to him. I love you, buddy. Thank you. Hey, go visit this thing. Stand with me, please. How many got a little bit convicted in that sermon this morning? Raise your hand if you got a little bit convicted. I was sitting down there getting convicted. Sometimes I wrote too much. You know, there's a balance for everything, but we need, we really need Jesus, don't we? I mean, not just believe that he is, but believe in him and, and follow him closely. Um, I want to remind you, uh, our connect. Back here we have life groups, men's groups. We're, we got our men's retreat coming up, uh, women's uh, Bible studies. There's so, so many different things. And uh, there's no pressure, but we just invite you to come back and just check it out. And uh, we, we just, we think that, that there's, there's life when we, when we come together and we study the Word. So we just encourage you, come, come check it out. I want to pray for you. Can I pray for you? 
Hey, let's all raise our hands and surrender to Jesus. Lord, with, you see our hands, oh God, and just, it's like in the cowboy movies, we surrender. We surrender to you knowing, oh God, that you have our best interests at heart. Lord, we, I just feel like we all just need to repent for not, for things not ever being enough. Holy Spirit, please speak to us and convict us about when we need to be at peace. And Lord, we know we always need to be at peace and help us not to go too far whenever we, we just uh, uh, take on the attributes of the animals and never having enough. Lord, you are enough for us. Please give us that revelation this morning. And we thank you for it. And we just, we just thank you for your peace. In Jesus' name. And everybody say it. We love y'all. God bless y'all.